Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Good morning, good morning, good morning. It is, I think it is Wednesday, the 19th of January, 2022. The reason I say I think is because I have mostly spent the last two and a half days in bed. Uh, So thank you in advance for all of your prayers. I went and got a COVID test right after yesterday's show. I don't have the results yet, but um, I'm pretty sure that that's what's wrong with me. Now, for those of you who are now in a fitted panic that I am somewhere Um, in an environment with other people, let me assure you that I am completely socially distanced from every other human being in the world right now. So, except you. I'm not socially distanced from you. So thank you for inviting me into your day. I love where we are. Where are we right now? Are we driving around? Are you getting ready for the day, looking in the mirror? Are you making um, lunches for kids headed back to school? Like, what's going on where you are? Um, What are you up to? Let me know. You can always text me during the show, 877-933-2484. And let me just go on record as saying, I know you're praying for me, and thank you so much. Um, And I ask you to resist the temptation to give me all, all of your uh, COVID advice. There you go. Just resist that temptation this morning. All right. So if you're a Christian, um, then you know that as Christians, we are supposed to make disciples. Like we are disciples, but we're also supposed to make disciples. That's actually what Jesus says to his disciples in what we call the Great Commission. It's recorded in Matthew chapter 28, um, and it's recorded by Luke in the opening of the book of Acts. And so I want to read the first 11 verses um, of the book of Acts this morning. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you've heard from me, for John baptized with water but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now, for those of you who have read this, you know that happens in Acts chapter 2, but we're getting ahead of ourselves. So picking up at verse 6 in Acts chapter 1. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, um, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. I can spit that out this morning. Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as he as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. 
And so the story goes on, um, and you should read all of it. Um, I love the opening chapter of the book of Acts. It reminds us to go back and reread the Gospel of Luke, because Acts is like part two of Luke's Gospel. And in it, he's basically demonstrating how the Gospel goes forth from these original followers from these original witnesses and how it is multiplied by the power of the Holy Spirit, or maybe magnified by the power of the Holy Spirit, and then multiplied through what you and I would call evangelism and discipleship. Um, The Great Commission in Matthew 28 states the same thing. And so how exactly, because here's really, I think, what it boils down to. If we know we're called to be the disciples of Jesus, and we know we're called to make disciples, how do we do that? How exactly is a disciple made? And how do I and how do you disciple others today? Daryl Crouch joins us next. We're going to start exploring part of the answer to that question. You don't want to miss it. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Pastor Daryl Crouch joins us now. You can find him at Everyone's Wilson. You can also find him at the For Our City blog. Daryl, welcome back. Great to be with you, Carmen. Good morning. Good morning, my brother. So um, you and I are going to spend our time together this year helping people walk from the living Word to living the Word of God. Uh, that's what I'm. That's what I've invited you to do, and you have graciously agreed. So I just thought that today. Maybe we just start with Second Timothy two one to two um, and unpack it. Like, how do we move from a text of scripture to living a text of scripture? Well, uh, I think uh, reading it first is really good. Uh, I think understanding its context, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, Second um, Timothy chapter two is really one of those passages that we all go back to if we think, "What has God asked me to do?" Um, what does it mean to follow Jesus, as you mentioned earlier, as a disciple-making believer? And um, I think those are the same thing. Believers are disciple-makers. This is an expectation. This is who we are. This is why we're here today, because 2,000 years ago, a few people uh, obeyed Jesus and began to uh, multiply themselves and others and invest in others. And so this word to to Timothy from Paul, as you as you re, as your listeners may already know, is a very personal letter. It's ministry oriented for sure, but it's a very personal letter. He begins the letter by calling Timothy his beloved son or his beloved child, and there's an intimacy in this letter that I don't think we want to miss, and that's really important. Carmen, as we think about disciple making, because many of us think about disciple making as a program at the church. And certainly the church equips the saints for the work of ministry. But a disciple-making is very personal. It's not transactional. It's not, do you like what I'm selling you? Okay, buy it, and, and, and we'll trade something, and then we go on to the next person. Disciple-making is incredibly personal. And um, Jesus spent an incredible amount of intimate time with his disciples. It's a It's a very personal thing, and it doesn't go as fast as we think it should. We're trying to reach the world in our generation, and so there's this sense of urgency, which is important. But the the process of um, deepening in relationships 
is just critical. And so as we think about living the Word, uh, the the living Word is in us, and it's only transferred. It's only multiplied through deepening, intimate, personal, um, transparent relationships. And uh, that's where we start. All right, so I'm going to read um, 2 Timothy 2, 1 and 2. You then, my son, again, Paul referring directly to Timothy in this very, very intimate way. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. So, Daryl, one of the reasons that I I thought, let's tee up this text for conversation is I think there's a misunderstanding in um, in the culture of the church today that suggests that discipleship is either very impersonal. I work my way through some kind of discipleship or disciple-making course, right? I check off the boxes of some kind of curriculum, even one that's, you know, two, three years long, you know, and, and supposedly that's that's what I need to do. And then there are others who would say, oh, no, it's just absolutely this one-on-one, life-on-life, you know, the pattern of one person to another, which I don't disagree with. But this text illuminates the reality that there was uh, there, there were circles of people um, around. There were many witnesses to Paul's process of of disciple making with Timothy. Absolutely, this happens in community, Carmen. This happens in the community of a local church. This this is intentional, um, but it's also organic. It's also um, um, uh, much as we think about parenting, sometimes as much as, much as caught as is taught. And so um, this idea of growing in grace with a community of people is really important. So you're exactly right. Disciple-making is not a class we take. It really is a life we live in community with other believers. And, and as it um, manifests itself, uh, some relationships will progress faster, will deepen with a, a number of people, maybe in a way that we don't with other people. And that's okay. That's really good. That's natural because they're going to deepen with other folks and not you. And, and that's good. Um, but we see ourselves as investing in one another in a way that is intentional, but is um, out of an overflow of who we are in Christ. It is Jesus being pressed out through us. And we do need programs sometimes or classes sometimes to help uh, train us and to teach us. There is content. The Bible is really important. Learning to study it, know it, and and pass it on is really important. Doctrine is really important. The Christ life is really important to understand. So those those things that we do to equip one another are super important. But disciple making, as you to to your point, happens in community. Happens as we are doing life. I know that's kind of overused now, but as people are watching us love our wives, love our kids love one another, love our neighbors, and they join us. I love them, and it's a simple thing, but I love to say, will you follow Jesus with me? And mm-hmm. with is is not is really important, that we're inviting our neighbors, we're inviting our church members, we're, we're inviting believers and unbelievers alike to watch us and to imitate us and to, to walk with us as we learn to follow Jesus. I love the with me um, invitation. That is that is so precious. All right, Daryl Crouch and I are going to continue our conversation in just a moment. We're talking about how in the life of the Christian, we 
we live into the reality of the living word of God. So how do we go from the living word, which is the Bible and Jesus, to living the word of God in our lives? We're taking um, a look today at 2 Timothy 2, 1 and 2. You don't want to miss what's next. Daryl Crouch serves with an organization called Everyone's Wilson. He also blogs on Substack. If you go to darylcrouch.substack.com, you can find um, his his blog there, the For Our City blog. One of the things that you talk about um, there, Daryl, is the reality of interdependence and how interdependence works. And I know that you're doing that in the context of Christians serving together in the community, but I thought that as a reflection on Second Timothy 2, 1 and 2, there's a conversation to be had here about the way this happens together and the way it happens generationally. I mean, I, I can't miss that Paul is saying to his son, so there's one generation, um, you know, the, these things you've heard in the presence of many witnesses and trust them to reliable people. So there's generation three, and then they also will be qualified to teach others. So there's like four generations of discipleship here. And Paul's not saying, hey, I'm discipling all these people. What he's saying is there's this, there's this intentional interdependence um, within the body of Christ, and you walk with me, and then you go walk with somebody else, and they walk with somebody else, and yet we're still all one in the Spirit. It's it's extraordinary. It really is extraordinary. So, I mean, you stole my thunder. I think that uh, those four <laughs> generations that we read right here, uh, which is wonderful, is uh, is just an incredible expression of uh, what uh, Christ has done in us and what He is doing in the world. Uh, the the gospel is on the move. Aslan is on the move. Jesus is building his church, and and uh, he's doing it through multiple generations as we learn to love one another, as we learn to um, uh, walk in his spirit and according to his truth and um, live out this life that he's called us to. And so it's a it's a remarkable um it's a remarkable vision that Paul cast for Timothy. If you'll remember Timothy, uh, was a little less confident. He he had uh, apparently Paul uh, was encouraging Timothy because he just lacked some confidence and wasn't sure he could do what he was being called to do. And I think Paul's reminder here was, listen, this is much bigger than you, Timothy. You're a part of this, and it's really important that you step into it. But I want you to know that Jesus is building his church, and and his his this context of this exhortation is, hey. Hey, Timothy, stay focused on the work ahead of you. Stay focused on the gospel. And uh, the Spirit of God will sow seeds that multiply in multiple generations. And so there is this, this interdependence on one another that, um, it, that you talk about that, that is so important to us understanding that it's not all on us. It's not all about us. We don't save the world. I I say to uh, folks a lot of times right now, um, you, you don't have to change the world, uh, but you can change the world for one person. You you can make a difference in the in the context where you live, and then let the Spirit of God do His work. And uh, network is multi generational, and it it goes well beyond your ability to reach, and certainly beyond your ability to manage. Which a lot of us church leaders and kind of folks that are deep into all this, we um, we sometimes want to, you know, manage it. We we think we, our way is the only way or whatever, and, and we're so passionate. Um, 
but there's a freedom in saying, listen, Jesus is building his church and he is doing this and he is multiplying. The gospel is powerful to multiply disciples beyond your ability to reach. So I think the professionalization um, of, of this process has left people thinking, yeah, you know what? I'm off the hook. I, I don't have to make disciples. Like, that's the job of my pastor. My pastor makes disciples, and I'm glad that he yeah. does that. Um, but I don't have to do that. Well, that's not at all uh, the biblical model of disciple making. Um, and that's certainly not what Jesus said about his great commission. And so I think, Daryl, that you and I want to give people not just permission today to go and make disciples, but sort of restore the mandate. Like, this yeah. this is actually the command of our Christ to those who are witnesses to the reality of his resurrection power. If you have been raised in Christ Jesus, transferred uh, from darkness to light, if you've experienced the transforming power of God through the grace of Jesus Christ, then you are intended to be a disciple maker. Um, invite the power of the Holy Spirit in, walk with somebody who is further along the journey than you are, and invite others who are not as far along as you to walk as well. It's a mutual experience of discipleship. It's not one to everybody. It's it's one with everybody. Like, right? We are walking together on this journey. It is mutual disciple-making for those of us who are Christians. Absolutely. And that's so important that folks know that what they do to invest in one in, in other people around them, what they do, whether it's spending time at the coffee shop, um, talking about how the Lord is using his word to wash them and purify them, and they pray together and they, they um, do a few things together as a family, whatever that looks like. I just want to encourage uh, the listeners that every, it's just, I can't really think of an individual uh, or a time in my life where I've invested in people where God has not done a great work in me as well as in those folks. Not because I'm great or because, you know, anything, like, but the time that we invest in people um, that's gospel-centered and spirit-led always bears fruit in our lives. And um, it's so rewarding. I continue to get text messages from people that, that, you know, men primarily who say, you know, Daryl, I love you. Thank you. Um, uh, here's what's going on in my life. And they're having kids and raising their families and they're faithful in their church. And um, there is great fruitfulness in the investments that we make. And as to your point, um, God does such a good work in us. We are not the master teacher telling everybody else how to do this. We are fellow learners. We're co-laborers. And um, the work, the sanctifying work of God through those relationships is just tremendous. All right. So you're thinking to yourself right now, well, how do I do it? I'm not sure I've ever been in a discipling or disciple making relationship that was at all intentional. So how do I turn and invite somebody into that? Here's going to be my encouragement to you today. Um, pray about who God is drawing you unto. Um, maybe that is somebody who is further along uh, in in terms of your in terms of your judgment. Somebody who's further along um, on the discipleship journey than than you. And and there should also be um, people who are not as far along on the discipleship journey as you. And invite them to meet together. Um, and have a bit of a plan. Say, you know, I'd like to meet together once a week for 
a year, 18 months, I'd like for us to commit to reading a passage of Scripture and journaling about it, discovering what God is saying in that. And then when we get together once a week, that's what we talk about. And we pray earnestly with and for one another. Um, the, the issues in people's lives will emerge. Like, that's going to happen. Um, you just have to initiate some kind of invitational process to walk with people and have them walk with you. So let me encourage you in that today. Daryl, anything to add to that? Probably no, prayer. Yeah. Like, right, we should yeah. probably consider not only just praying together, but have praying together be like a major part of it. It's huge. And it is that simple, though. It's not, it's intentional, it's important, but it's not complicated. And um, I think that's the, to remove every barrier that we can to spending time with people, talking about what we're reading in his word, uh, talking about how that word is being applied in our, in our family life or our personal life, whatever that looks like, and then praying together. And if you've got two or three people, that's going to take you an hour to hour and a half a week. And um, for me, it's always, it's usually starting early in the day, but other people can, can find their time of day, but that works. But um, no, it's exactly what you said. Start start where you are, start simple, and keep it simple, and invest in one another. All right, and if you have to miss Mornings with Carmen in order to meet with your disciple-making group, that's okay, because you can always go grab the podcast later in the day at MyFaithRadio.com. <laughs> that's awesome. That's my, there you go. That's my little plug. All right, Daryl, as always, thank you so very much. Um, thank you for what you're doing every day at Everyone's Wilson and at the For Our City blog. Um, we love gathering with you to unpack the, the living Word of God and seeking to live into it this year. It really is a joy. You're, you're doing a great job. Well, I appreciate that, my brother. It's fun to do it together. All right, we're going to take a very uh, brief pause here for a word from Greg Laurie. And then we're going to talk with Chelsea Sobolik from the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission in Washington, D.C., about what is going on on the Sanctity of Life front. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Are there times that you consider like pro-life advocates or people who are uh, lobbying on Capitol Hill on particular issues? And specifically here, I'm going to talk about the pro-life issue. Do you think to yourself, wow, that person is really smart. I appreciate that uh, they know what they're doing and they're really you know, seeking to push the needle on this. Have you ever thought about the story behind why they're doing it, um, who they are, the personal motivators, um, how God has particularly and peculiarly, peculiarly mm-hmm, um, called them into a particular ministry. Chelsea Sobolik is the director of policy for the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Church. She works in Washington, D.C. She's worked on Capitol Hill, on pro-life policies, domestic international religious freedom, adoption, foster care. Um, but if you really want to know her story, then you have to read Longing for Motherhood, Holding on to Hope in the Midst of Childlessness. And that's not what Chelsea's coming to talk with us about today. But if you don't know that about her, um, you might wonder, why is this woman so passionate, so committed, so activated? Why is she seeking to mobilize the rest of us on the concerns related to all things pro-life, which is a wide, wide spectrum um, of policies and uh, and 
and actions. And so she's going to join us to talk about the state of the pro-life movement um, this year in 2022. And she's also going to talk with us about, you know, the larger public policy agenda of Christians in D.C. So next up, Chelsea Sobolik. When it comes to raising healthy kids, every parent has their own style. However, if you have teenagers at home, a couple of things are non-negotiable for parents. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. As your kids grow up, you'll need to revise your parenting style to adapt to their stage. When your kids get older, you need to move from lecturing to discussing. Move from demanding everything to asking their opinion about everything. Move from seeing everything that's wrong to finding more of what's right. Move from nonstop talking to nonstop listening. Yes, you should express your creativity in raising your kids, but be sure to adapt to their changing stages so that you engender their trust and nurture their independence. Want more help from Mark Gregston? Find books and other resources online at parentingtodaysteens.org. My friend Chelsea Patterson Sobolik is joining us now. She uh, serves as the Director of Public Policy with the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission in Washington, D.C. She has worked on Capitol Hill for a number of years on pro-life policies, domestic and international religious freedom concerns, adoption, issues related to foster care. Um, She has been published in a number of places. And if you have never read her book, Longing for Motherhood, Holding on to Hope in the Midst of Childlessness, uh, let me just say you you're missing out. And so um, I highly, highly commend that to you. Chelsea, I know you're working on a new book on women and work, but you're also working on all kinds of things on the Hill. So welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Well, thank you so much for having me. All right. So let's start with the state of the pro-life movement in 2022. I think that you um, can help us understand how administration to administration, like, right, so we made this massive transition from one administration to another just a year ago. Um, And for you, at a policy level, that has some significant um, impacts as well. I don't think people often think about that. And so can you just walk us around in uh, in the state of the pro-life movement at this point in time? Absolutely. And you're exactly right. You know, things can look different from administration to administration, Congress to Congress. Um, You know, things change all the time. So um, in the first week of President Biden's uh, administration, he rescinded um, what's known as the Mexico City policy, which prevents um, our foreign aid from funding abortions abroad. Um, So he, he did some actions like that. Um, and the budget that passed uh, the, the House this year um, did not include the longstanding Hyde Amendment, which protects taxpayer dollars from funding abortions domestically. Um, the, the budget hasn't passed. We've continued to do, to do CRs. Um, thankfully, uh, everyone's favorite senator from West Virginia, Joe Manchin, has stood firm on protecting the Hyde Amendment. So um, in the administration and in Congress, uh, things are very fluid. But in the courts, uh, this is where uh, things are extremely positive. 
Um, there was a case that uh, we heard oral arguments in, in December entitled Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization. And this case is the most important case in a generation for the pro-life movement. And we can get into some of the, the details uh, if you'd like, but this is an extremely important case. And, you know, this is kind of what everyone's looking to in 2022 um, for the pro-life movement and how to calibrate um, after that decision. Okay, so let's pause right there and tell everybody you can find resources related to what Chelsea and I are talking about right now at ERLC, ERLC ERLC.com. There's a whole resource library there of articles related um, to the state of the pro-life movement and and, and pretty much everything that we're talking about today. Um, So take us into this particular case because it has um, it really has people on all sides um, and a, a range of positions related to what you and I would consider, you know, the sanctity of life of the preborn. But on the on the other side, you know, the the right of women to have autonomy over their own bodies and healthcare decisions and those kinds of things. So, talk with us about the case that is before the Supreme Court. Absolutely. So the Dobbs case, as most people have referred to it, um, this case is reviewing a Mississippi law entitled the Gestational Age Act. And I'll get into why that that title is important in a, in a minute. But this law in Mississippi prohibits abortions after 15 weeks and except in a few um, except in a few cases. So what this law does and why this law in this case is so important is this law replaces the viability standard that was created in Roe and Casey. Um, and instead, it replaces it with that uh, limit on abortion um, after 15 weeks. So the issue that the court was looking at is whether pre-viability prohibitions on abortions were unconstitutional. Um, So why that viability line is so important. um, So the court created this viability standard basically out of thin air, um, and it's continued to change. It's entirely arbitrary. When it was initially created in 1973, viability was around 28 weeks, and now viability is 21 weeks, which is quite significant. So this line, this arbitrary line continues to change as our science changes. Um, And it will continue to go back further and further and further as our science, medicine and technology improves. Um, And and it's important to note that neither Roe or Casey or any decision by the court ever provided a principled justification for viability. It really is this arbitrary line. So this case really hits to the core of uh, Roe and and Casey um, and we submitted a brief in, in this uh, case asking the court to overturn those disastrous uh, precedents that were set in Roe and Casey. All right. So this is only one of the the challenges that you are confronting on Capitol Hill in terms of national policies related to life. And so when we come back, will you kind of walk us through um, the public policy agenda for Christians uh, in 2022. You guys have a whole resource library on it. So I thought that maybe introducing people to the full scope of what you're working on would be helpful because maybe this isn't like their point of passion in terms of an issue that God has pierced their heart on. But my guess is there's something on your list that is. So could we do that together? 
All right. So more with Chelsea Sobolik in just a minute. We're going to look at the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission's public policy agenda for 2022. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. We're continuing our conversation with Chelsea Sobolik. She works in Washington, D.C. on behalf of Christians across the country. She is uh, the director of policy for the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, and we're going to look together at the ERLC's 2022 public policy agenda. Um, First of all, Chelsea, why does a public policy agenda include more than, let's just say, overturning Roe v. Wade? Absolutely. It's a good question. Uh, So our work at the ERLC spans many different issues because we work on behalf of Southern Baptists, and each one of the issues we work on um, are directed from scripture and the SEC resolutions that pass every year. So our work kind of falls into five buckets, uh, religious liberty, human dignity, justice, marriage and family, and some international work. So we are, we are quite busy <laughs> up in Washington. When we talk about um, international um, concerns, uh, if you're listening right now and you remember the conversation we just had yesterday yesterday about the NBA, you know, just coming out and saying nobody cares about the Uyghurs, I can tell you the ERLC and Christians writ large in America care about the Uyghurs. We care about the ongoing genocide of the Uyghur people, um, and you can find resources specifically related to that at ERLC.com. When you think about um, the public policy agenda this year, what rises to the top in terms of where you think like strategic progress is likely to be made? Such a good question. Um, you know, we are preparing for a post uh, Roe world. Um, you know, if if Dobbs has decided favorably, abortion will not end overnight. It will be sent back to the state. So we're we're making sure that that we are prepared for that, and that our our states and churches um, are prepared for that. You know, another thing that we are going to continue to see pop up um, is religious freedom concerns during the the COVID pandemic. We are still in the middle of um, of a global pandemic, and there's been you know numerous religious liberty concerns. Uh, you know, most recently um, was uh, the Supreme Court overturning the OSHA um, mandate, and we were very grateful. You know, we believe that that was administrative overreach on on their part. So, you know, there will continue to be issues uh, pop up during the uh, during the pandemic. You know, I think another to to answer your question, another uh, strategic. Uh, way that that we can get involved is, um, you know, continuing to make sure that our our refugee uh, resettlement program is robust. Um, You know, last year we saw thousands of Afghans fleeing for their lives Um, and making sure that we can welcome those people, making sure that Uyghurs that are able to to flee China are able to be welcomed into, into our country and making sure that we have all of the procedures and things set up in place for that. Um, And then our international work will continue. Uh, You know, we are just a few weeks away from the Olympics. And while we saw a lot of uh, progress in Congress last year on on behalf of the Uyghurs, there's still uh, much, much work to be done. And Beijing is hosting the Olympics. So there's a lot around around that that we can talk about with human rights and religious freedom as well. If you guys go to ERLC.com, you can actually download the entire 
public policy agenda for 2022, one of the great things that you do, Chelsea, is you actually like just come right out and identify the things that I should be uh, supporting and the things that I should be opposing if I'm operating out of a Christian worldview that is informed by you know the biblical morality of the Bible. All right. So when it comes to let's say the Equality Act, you come right out and you. You tell me I should oppose that, right? I mean, like, I, as a Christian, I should oppose that. And then you go on to just give me, like, one paragraph, right? And that's so helpful. The things that, um, as a Christian, I want to support and the things that I want to oppose. How do I do that? Like, when you say respond to, support, protect, oppose, how does a person do those things? That's an excellent question. So one of the one of the greatest ways would be to develop um, relationships with your local congressman and your senators. Um, you can, you know, schedule a meeting with them. It'll probably be virtual right now because of the pandemic, but schedule a meeting with them and develop, you know, a relationship with them and bring up issues that you're grateful that that member um, works on, um, and then bring up, you know, issues that from your uh, from our Christian faith, we believe harms our neighbors, does not love our neighbors. So you can, you know, schedule a meeting, write a letter. Um, it's such a great way. And you don't have to come to Washington to do that. You can, you know, um, senators and your local congressmen have local district offices. Um, so that's an excellent way to, to, number one, build a relationship. And number two, get involved and say, you know, this is why we think this is harmful or why, why we think this is helpful. Um, and then number two, I think it's really important to, to stay up to date on, on what's going on. And we try to do that uh, at ERLC with our podcasts and our resources and, and all of that. But uh, to be aware of, of what's going on, you know, the Equality Act is extraordinarily harmful, but popping up in almost every bill in Congress uh, is SOGI language, sexual orientation mm-hmm. and gender identity language. And I try to comb through those bills and, and, and communicate with the Hill on those issues. But it's important to know what's going on and, and why this why this matters. All right. Again, we're talking with Chelsea Sobolik. You can find the resources we're discussing today at ERLC.com. In particular, what you're looking for is the 2022 public policy agenda. Um, all right, Chelsea, um, I told people at the uh, at the introduction before you came on that if they had not read your book, that they wouldn't really, I think, understand your your heart for some of these issues and concerns. And so um, but I don't want to tell anybody else's story for them. So can you can you brief people in on at least why some of these issues are of particular concern to you? Absolutely. So my first book, Longing for Motherhood, I I tell my very personal story of um, my adoption story um, and then my experience with with childlessness and and how the Lord has worked in that. And um, I I wrote the book I wish I'd had when I was 18 and found out I was diagnosed with a, a somewhat rare medical condition that would prevent me from having children. But my husband and I are in the adoption process ourselves. I mentioned I'm adopted from overseas. So uh, child welfare in particular uh, is incredibly close to my heart, but honestly working on behalf of people that don't have voices is very near and dear to my heart because, you know, if my birth mom had made a different decision, I might not be here. Um, She made such a courageous 
decision for my life and and what that would look like in such a loving decision but I, i'm very deeply motivated to to help be a voice and shine a light on um on on behalf of vulnerable people can we pray for you before you head back to your work? Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Father, thank you for our sister Chelsea. Um, thank you for those along whom she labors in Washington, D.C. on behalf of people who don't have a voice. Every image bearer um, that you have so graciously knit together in mother's wombs around the world, we thank you that Chelsea specifically is fearfully and wonderfully made. We thank you that you um, have set before her a life that is so filled with grace um, and courage and opportunity to do what others of us, Father, you haven't called to do. So thank you for her unique place in the body of Christ and for the way you're using her today. Equip, empower, embolden, provide all the resources necessary, encourage her, surround her with others, bless she and Michael in the adoption process. Um, And Father, just thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to be together today in this way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. I do. I do love you. And I so deeply appreciate um, what you do every single day. I know I don't say it often enough, but but thank you. Thank you. Yeah, we'll talk again soon. That's Chelsea Sabolik. You can find her at the ERLC. That's just ERLC.com. We'll be right back. Hey, thank you for your ongoing prayers. Appreciate um, being with you this morning. I want us to be praying today for people who are disconnected and hurting. People who, um, they don't know how they're going to stay warm today. They don't know where they're going to sleep tonight. They literally don't know where their next meal is coming from. Uh, How can we, as Christians, demonstrate compassion and grace Like, how is it today that we are walking out our faith among the least of these, our brothers and sisters? Maybe there is um, a food pantry. And, you know, when COVID started, you helped keep it stocked, but you've kind of been distracted from that. Uh, As inflation continues to to rise, families are are just overwhelmed. Um, So maybe your pantry is overstocked and you could take a box today of the overflow. to your local food pantry or distribute it via the counselor at your local school. Lots of ways that we can support one another um, in what's going on today. And let's pray about it. Like, right, let's let's pray about where God is leading us. Let's be on the lookout for people around us on our street, in our neighborhood, uh, in line at the grocery store. Let's let's be aware. And then let's just be bold in saying, hey, um, are you okay? Is there is there a way I can help you? You might be really surprised um, at the response. Become a missionary in your own neighborhood. Become a missionary um, in your own context, in your own place of work. We are called to be the very ambassadors of the king and the kingdom. And if we don't tell people, they won't know. We got another hour of Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.